I was in the back, couldn't quite hear everything, but um, Bill, Tammy, where you got? There, right here, down in the youth section. Good to have you guys here. Uh, for those of you that don't know the, the fun backstory, as Bill and Stephen are both going to graduate together from seminary this coming May. They'll be in the same ceremony. Bill is going to be getting his doctorate. He's uh, already a medical doctor, and he's been in ministry for 45 years, and he's going to get his Ph.D., this coming May, and Stephen will be getting his master's, and they will be in the same ceremony. Tammy's already graduated from Southwestern, so it'll be kind of a, a reunion and homecoming, and we're looking forward to that day. So thanks for leading us in prayer and praying for our youth, and again, publicly, we want to say thank you for letting us have your son and daughter-in-law here to do such a wonderful job. They are doing a tremendous job. Uh, And I hope you got a book uh, from last week. These are your vegetables, remember? Hopefully you picked up a book. If not, you can get one out there. It's just Michelle and I's gift to you, and it's a, really a gift to our church and to future generations of our church because it reminds us of what it is to be a healthy church member. It's an easy read. You can read through it quickly. Very important content in there, and I hope you'll pick that up. And also, in each one of the books, there's a coupon. Some people didn't know that, but that's a coupon for a free dessert over at Bruno's from now until the end of February. Uh, another gift from Michelle and I, because we knew some of you wouldn't want, you wouldn't think the book was a very special gift. So I knew, we knew you liked the dessert. And then Austin Underdown, are you here? Way to go. Austin is in the paper for going uh, to state. We didn't even know he was a soloist. But here's your picture in the paper, man. Congratulations to you. I'll throw it to you over the aisle. You bet. He didn't even know he's in the paper, and I told him he's pretty smooth because he's in this picture where he's, what he's doing this with is all girls. There are no guys. And so smart, smart man. Yeah. And again, thank you guys so much for, on behalf of Michelle and I for the experience of last week. We celebrated, it was all of our anniversary uh, together, but you were so gracious to us. Uh, and, you know, I feel a little bit, um, it's very awkward, as you might note, because you and your various careers and uh, pursuits that you have vocationally, seldom ever does anybody even take note that you've been there for 10 or 15 or 25 or 30 years 25, 25th anniversary, they say, well, great, if you could make sure you get that report by the end of the day. And so the fact that y'all would take the time to recognize that was really special to us. And I think I understand a little bit more, extremely generous. I got home and talked to Michelle, and I thought, well, they're, just, they're so generous. And then I thought, wait a second, maybe that was a subtle severance package that they were giving me. <laughs> and that's what the generosity was about. Well, thank you all so much uh, for just loving us the way that you do. Today we're going to continue in our series back to a providential postcard, and I'm sorry, last week we didn't get all the way through the Psalm 90. It's a, it's a great psalm. I wish I could have unpacked it. was able to do a little bit more with that on television for this morning, but uh, it's a great psalm. I hope you go back and, and read it, but we get back to Judah, a postcard, a providential postcard, reviewing it. Why is it providential? Because he was planning on writing another letter, which had been fascinating to read, talking about our faith and salvation. It would have been a great, maybe a systematic theology, maybe a treatise. It would have been wonderful to read, but God providentially prompted him to write this uh, other letter to Christians scattered throughout around the Mediterranean because they needed to contend for the faith. 
There were attacks on salvation, as there are all the time, and so he switched his focus to defend the salvation that he was going to write about rather than to write about it. The theme of this short letter is found in verse 3, contend for the faith. Remember we said that's an athletic term. It is, it is a term that you would have experienced last Sunday night when you saw Mahomes and Hurts <clears throat> in which they were contending for the Lombardi Trophy. No matter how much pain they were in, they were going to play to the very end to win that. And that's the exact same concept that Jude uses here for us as Christians, to contend to the very end as if we were winning the greatest prize of all. Christians are called to contend for the faith because it's under attack and it's worth fighting for. Okay, we could say, well, it's under attack, so, well, I hope it survives, but it's worth fighting for because of what Christ has done for each one of us. And every generation must contend for the faith because it's relentlessly under attack. Part of the attack in our culture, and we might think, well, we're not experiencing persecution. And some of us, you know, we, <clears throat> we exaggerate, <coughs> excuse me, that we're uh, woefully persecuted as Christians. The church is under attack, faith is under attack, but nothing like it was back then. But part of the attack today is we are being inundated with distractions and superficiality. In fact, we are so inundated with information that we have replaced significance with superficiality. I'll give you an example of that. I'll tell you this, last week I got a text on my phone that said, great news, Raymond, exclamation point. You're probably wondering, what in the world happened? Great news, Raymond, exclamation point. The jeans that I had ordered from Walmart were gonna be delivered that day. <laughs> and Walmart wanted me to know that was great news, Raymond. That's the kind of world in which we live in. Something very superficial becomes great and extravagant, and we celebrate that and we lose sight of what's really, truly great news. Well, I do want to share some truly great news with you. Uh, we lost our spot on television for Christmas Day on ABC because Disney owns ABC, and they wanted to show their parade on Christmas morning instead of the churches that are lined up for those particular slots. So in a very polite way, I raised a bit of a stink about our church being bumped on Christmas day of all days, and I explained how we were planning on showing the Innkeeper's Journal, did a dramatization of that a few years ago, and we try to play it each year uh, just to try to reach people for Christ. And I said, we were planning on doing that, and uh, so they said, well, what we're going to do then is we're going to give you a time spot at 11.30 on KJAC, which is a much smaller television viewing audience. Well, I got the Nielsen ratings report this last week, and on Christmas Day, in our bump spot, with fewer people watching, we had 6,000 households watching that on Christmas Day at 11.30. And here's the really cool thing. About halfway through that, I start sharing the gospel. And that's when the ratings went up to 6,500. So on Christmas Day, we got bumped by parade. Our viewing audience more than tripled and over 6,500 households heard the gospel proclaimed on Christmas Day. So that's a cool deal. That's good news, that's great news. And we pray, and we pray that we would see people come to Christ because of experiences like that. Well, Fred Bernard used a phrase in advertising, a picture is worth a thousand words. 
was 100 years ago. He was doing some advertising communication. He wanted to, to illustrate that an icon or a picture or an image is worth far more than a bunch of words on a page. And so he came up with his expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. And here's the fun thing about it. Because he knew that a lot of people wouldn't recognize him or give credence to what he said, he attributed the statement to being a Chinese proverb because it would be more seriously taken. And since then, people have tried to attribute it to Confucius. A picture is indeed worth a thousand words. And when Jude gets to this portion of his book, he begins to remind us that pictures are worth countless words. And he's going to give us several pictures that just illustrate what he has been talking about of these people that have abandoned the faith. And truthfully, they were never even a part of the faith. They're much like the parable of the soils. They thought that they were believers, but they truly weren't. And they were coming in, and they were coming in like uh, wolves in sheep clothes in the church. The pictures that he's going to give us, and this is part one. We will look at the other pictures next week because we just you want to take the time to really process the pictures that he gives us. Today we'll look at polluted bodies, angelic disputes, and animalistic instincts. These are the pictures that he gives us in Jude chapter 8, uh, in, in verses 8 through 10. You can find it in the Pew Bible, pages 19, 10. Let's read it together in Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 8. In the very same way, and he's referencing back to what he's talked about with Sodom and Gomorrah, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people, these false teachers, pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals actually destroy them. That's some pretty heavy words. And so let's just take a moment to pray. And, and as we pray, I would ask that each one of us would try to figure out how does this relate to my life? How does it relate to our church? How does it relate to Christ at large in the world? And just think very specifically in our own life and then further move the boundaries and then move them even to the ends of the earth. So let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your word that guides us. It is through your word that we hear you. And we see even today those that try to hear you in different ways in which you truly do not speak. I pray that you would guide us personally to see from your word, how does this relate to me? Are there adjustments, changes, things that I need to be considering in my life? Ways that we can expand our understanding of who you are, our view of you, our relationship with you. And Lord, might we not just keep it right around us, but help us to see in the bigger scope of how this applies to this body of believers at Westgate, how it applies to the church at large throughout the entire world. God, we want to honor you. We want to see that your, your name is glorified in what we do here today. We pray that your word, which you promise, will never become uh, inactive. It, it is active always, and it will always have purpose. So we pray that the purpose that you've ordained for this day would be accomplished and that we would not be resistant to it. In your name we pray. Amen. It's so important to remember that God's word will never return void. Isaiah told us that. But if we're resistant to it, it can't have that effect. As I pray that we would be very open to what he has to say. Here's Jude talking about these three different pictures, polluted bodies, angelic disputes, and then, of course, this last component 
of, uh, I forgot what I was going to say there, and animalistic in- instincts. Polluted bodies. It says in the same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies by rejecting authority and heaping abuse on celestial beings. Verse 8, as you're following through, and especially if you have the Pew Bible open to 1910, you can see that we refer back to verse 7 when he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, talking about the immorality that was going on with these false teachers that were coming into the church. And it's saying that they're actually polluting their own bodies. They think that they're giving greater liberation to themselves by not being obedient to God. They've, they've postured themselves as being above God's word, in which, as it says there, by their dreams. Their dreams are their authority. So whatever they dream or imagine in their mind, they believe that to be truth, and that's what they follow. And by doing this, they are literally polluting their physical bodies. There are words that Jude could have used there that refer to flesh in general, like the world, but he's talking about the flesh of your actual body. To say they are actually polluting their own bodies by their immoral behavior, which was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. And and to to go back and rehearse a little bit, remember what they're saying is, you really don't have to follow scripture. They are drawing a line to say there's a difference between your body and your soul. Your body is corrupt, your soul is not. It's kind of the the forerunners for Gnosticism. So they're saying it really doesn't matter what you do with your body because your soul is clean, it's purified, it's been forgiven by God. So your body is free to do whatever you desire with it. So they rejected biblical authority. They rejected the disciplines that keep us grounded in scripture. And their dreams became the justification for their lifestyles. Whatever they thought, whatever they imagined, whatever they believed to be true was their truth. They assumed authority for themselves rather than the lordship of Jesus Christ. They supplanted the lordship of Christ by saying, I will be the authority of my life rather than Christ. And we have plenty of scriptural scriptural context for this. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says, if, if there's a dreamer that comes around and they tell you this is what God's telling us to do, you do not listen to them because you have the authority of what we have given you in the law through the word to follow. Same in Zechariah chapter 10. In Jeremiah, the prophet had to deal with people with their dreams. So this is what we believe that God is going to do. What we must remember that when we engage in immorality of any type, sin of any type, it actually pollutes our body. We can't imagine going and drinking something that we know to be deadly something that would do damage to our bodies. But he's saying in the same way that you don't drink sewer water, you shouldn't be engaged in sexual immorality because it actually pollutes and destroys your body. What are we talking about now in our world? Climate change. All the time we hear about the destruction of the ecosystem. Pollution of what it is doing and destroying and the great fears that are there. That's what Jude is talking about on a spiritual standpoint. The fears of destroying yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Paul was writing him saying, don't you know that your body is a temple of God? It's not your own. You can't just do whatever you please with your body. You've been bought with a price if you truly are a follower of Christ. And then if you feel like that yours is to do with whatever you want, then you need to reevaluate that you may not even be in the kingdom of God. He says, your body is the temple of God that has been bought with a price, and the price that was paid was 
Jesus Christ in his sacrificial atonement. He's saying of these people, what they're doing is they are producing works of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit. And we go back to Galatians chapter 5, and I hope that you'll read that this afternoon. Because as you open that passage up, it talks about all the things that result when we follow after the flesh. All the pollutants that come into our lives and the lives of other people. Our decisions impact other people. So it's important for us to realize that when we pollute, just like when you see somebody driving down the, down the road, and you've been behind those guys, it's like, you know, just pull into the dealership, pull into a mechanic. I mean, they're just smoking everywhere. Are they the only ones that are experiencing pollution? No, it impacts other people. And so when we pollute our bodies, it hinders others as well. And that's what, that's what Judah's warning against. These are not godly people. Do not follow after them, no matter how many dreams they've had. And then he talks about angelic disputes. And this is a really uh, unusual passage of Scripture. So hang on, uh, follow along with me. Look at in verse 8, he says, These ungodly people reject authority, and they heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for the slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, have you ever read that before? It's like, where was that in the Old Testament? I don't remember that when I was reading uh, through Deuteronomy that, that Moses and, and, and uh, Moses' body was, was debated over by Satan and the archangel Michael. We don't have that in Scripture. This is a reference to apocryphal, apocryphal book, The Assumption of Moses, in which it talks about this debate that supposedly took place. And the idea was that when Moses, remember that Moses died up on Mount Nebo by himself, and God, it says in Deuteronomy 34, 6, buried his body, and nobody knows where it is. After Moses died, there was this debate, according to what was said in this particular book. Whether or not Jude is saying this is exactly what happened, or this is a, an example of this, we don't know for sure. But the idea was that Michael and Satan were having a debate over who got Moses' body. Satan thought he had authority over Moses' body because he was a murderer. So he wasn't qualified to enter the kingdom. And what he really probably wanted to do, speculation, probably wanted to take Moses' body. He wanted to bring it out for everybody to see. So idolatry would take place. And they began to worship the body of Moses and the body of his work and take their eyes off of God. Well, he would have to later say, settle for Baal and all of his gods. Michael, who was the strongest angel in the presence of God, didn't debate with, the, with Satan. He simply said, and he was quoting from Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, another experience like this in which Satan is trying to accuse Joshua, the high priest, in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, and it simply says, the Lord rebuke you. And so that's what Michael did. If we go to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, we're going to find that Michael is the one all by himself that puts Satan away. So he has enough power to put Satan away. But rather than to try to step beyond his boundary, he simply says, the Lord rebuke you. And what we're talking about here as Judas writing about these false prophets is they are trying to establish their own authority. They're not saying this is what Scripture says. This is what I say. This is a dream that I had. This is what God told me. Have you ever had someone tell you that? God told me. Well, if you haven't, I will tell you in 36 years of pastoring, people say it a lot, especially to pastors. 
and the direction of the church and what we ought to be doing. And in saying this, Jude is saying, these people are claiming their own authority. Even Michael the archangel didn't claim authority over Satan, even though he had the power to take him down. So don't listen to these people that they established their own authority. And then third, this third picture that we're going to look at this week before we go to next week is animalistic instincts. Look down at verse 10. It says, yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. He is saying what these false teachers are doing, they're controlled by their own natural instincts. God hasn't called us to be controlled by our natural instincts. If we all yielded to our own natural instincts, what would happen? Total anarchy, total chaos, total destruction. Kind of what we see in culture today, of everybody being authority unto themselves. And so he's saying, these people, they, they slander what they don't understand. If they don't understand, if they, don't, if they can't grasp the concept of an almighty, sinless God coming to this planet in the form of man, fully God, fully man, dying on the cross to redeem us from our sins and being resurrected to demonstrate his authority over all things. If they can't explain that and understand that, then they simply poke at it and slander it and belittle it. The very things that they do understand by instinct, those are the things that they do. And they act like animals, controlled by their instincts rather than being controlled by the Spirit of God. You go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. To say, don't be controlled by anything but the Spirit of God. But they were controlled by their own instincts, their selfish ambitions. And that's why Jesus would say time and time again, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and follow me. He is trying to usurp the unholy trinity of me, my, and I. And when we bow down to me, my, and I, we become a law unto ourselves. It's a fight for personal autonomy. And we become very self-centered, very self-focused, and very self-absorbed. And that's exactly what these people were doing because they were what? Not just because they were false teachers. But friends, this is where we need to hear for all of us. Because they were not, were not surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we live like animals, when we just let that natural instinct go, when we live like animals, we will eventually become Satan's pets, complete with a collar, leash, and cage. You read this last week as you're going through the Bible, Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus gives us the, the Great Commission, which can only be applied if you know what verse 18 says. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and do this remarkable thing. All authority belongs to Christ. And if we're not careful, we will try to usurp that and we will try to take the authority back. Sometimes even as we have studied as men uh, in here from Dr. Tripp, we become practical atheists. We have lip service to Christianity and to faith, but we do not practice what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So we see as Jude is talking about all of this, this, this digression of where our lives go when we don't surrender our lives to Christ, it leads to godless rebellion 
that spirals into destruction, but godly obedience leads to eternal life. Godless rebellion, and that doesn't mean that you, you storm some building and hold people hostage. Godly rebellion is when we don't live in obedience to Christ. And godly, godless rebellion leads to spiraling destruction. Notice what he said. It's just a downward spiral where you end up living like an animal. But godly obedience leads to eternal life. You know, human depravity doesn't prevent us from thinking. We all can think, whether we follow Christ or not. We just don't think correctly, and we begin to act more and more like animals. This higher, deeper knowledge that the false teachers thought that they were bringing, led not, it, leads, it never leads to anything more than animalistic behavior. And when we rebel against God, when we rebel against God, we rebel against all of his authority, which is Scripture, we rebel against the church, which has the authority to try to embrace us and help us. When we do that, we lose our hearing for God. God becomes silent in our lives. When we say that I will listen to myself, and that becomes my authority, we silence the voice of God. And resistance does that. Francis Bacon, English philosopher with a very unusual uh, story died 400 years ago, but he said something centuries ago that is incredibly relevant, probably feels even more relevant today. Man prefers to believe what he prefers to be true. Man prefers to believe what he prefers to be true. What I want to be true, I will believe that. And Jude says that is an animalistic approach to life. This final thought, we can't choose the consequences of our choices, but we can choose to make choices that have better consequences. Friends, that's such an important statement about life. We don't get to choose the consequences of our actions. We can try to reach somebody, but we never know exactly how they're going to respond. If we choose to go down a pathway of sin, as I so oftentimes see it, the desire to try to control the consequences and how it impacts people, and you can't. But we can choose to make choices that have better consequences. Does that make sense? So much so. We can't choose the consequences of our choices. When we choose to sin and think that we're going to hold on to that, it's like holding on to a cobra by the tail. We don't get to choose what that snake's going to do but we can choose to make better choices that lead to better consequences. What we do does impact other people. And God has called us not to live like animals with selfish ambition, serving the unholy trinity, but to be righteous and live under the righteousness of Christ. You know, debates over energy are coming all the time. And I, and I know that earlier, some of you just checked out when I talked about climate change and thought, oh man, is he, is, he, uh, is he one of those guys and just lost you? Don't even try to figure out what I'm thinking about all that, okay? Because I'm not the guy that's out there. I recycle and I love trees and I plant trees, but I'm not the guy that's out there like Chicken Little saying the sky's this all going to come to an end. Because I believe that God is in charge and when he's ever ready for this earth to be done, he will be the one who ends it, not us. That is way too much personal autonomy to say we have the power to control the universe. Okay, so all that said, 
because I'm going to talk about energy here for a second. And you're thinking, oh, man, who's he voting for this year? Well, <laughs> debates over energy for the future are everywhere. Is it fossil fuel? Is it hydrogen? Is it nuclear? Is it electricity? Which I'm always wondering about that one. If, just imagine the airline industry when you're buying an airline ticket and you're required to bring an, an extra pack of AA batteries just in case it didn't work out, you know? Um, <laughs> And this statement I'm saying is not about a debate on all that. It's just to say that notice in the debate, no one is saying, well, let's just do away with energy. Let's just not have any energy at all because we all realize that we need energy, whether it's electricity or nuclear or hydrogen or fossil fuel, we recognize there's a need for energy. It's just a question. And the same thing happens in our hearts. We recognize the need for energy. It's just a question of where's that energy going to come from? Our own dreams, our choices, our decisions, or is that energy going to come from the power of Jesus Christ? So that's why I want to encourage any of us that are not walking with Christ at this moment that we would recognize that God loves us and he's created us to have a relationship with him. But our sin, which is rebellion against him, we might think that our sin doesn't have anything to do with God. We're just doing this thing over here to the side by ourselves not thinking that we're impacting anybody, but just as David said when he confessed his sin, I have sinned against you alone. And we say, what about Bathsheba? But he recognized that our sin is ultimately against God. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins. That means to turn away from our sins, to say, I'm no longer going to follow after my sins. I'm going to follow after Christ. And we completely surrender our life to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to, to join me as I voice a prayer. Just a, it's a prayer of the heart. It's not a magical prayer, but it helps us to understand what is required to have a relationship with Christ. And if you're already a Christian, you feel like you're right where you need to be, then I want you to begin to pray for someone that you know is not walking with the Lord, not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you pray for them now. So let's join together as we pray. God, we thank you that your word is indeed so relevant speaks into our lives. We may feel like we don't have any false teachers running around telling us that, oh, listen to this dream or acting like a bunch of animals. But God, we realize the danger, the enormity of the danger of sin and what it can do and how subtly it creeps into our lives and leads to disastrous, deadly results. So instead of yielding to anything but you, I pray that our lives will be fully surrendered to you and anybody listening even now that has never committed their life to you, I pray that they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, we know that we will never find the happiness that we all pursue. We will never find the contentment that we desire, that fulfillment, that satisfaction in life. We can never find it apart from you as hard as we may try. So I pray that all of us would truly be fully surrendered to you with all that we have, all that we are, and that yes, indeed, we would follow hard after you every last day that we have on this earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you decided to follow Christ today, 
You can meet us out in the atrium after the service. We can talk more about what that means, or we can pray with you over at the cross. Our deacons of the month for the month of February will be standing back at uh, each one of these aisles with their wife. They'd love to pray with you and talk with you if that'd be helpful. Um, however you feel like you might want to respond to what we've experienced here today. So let's stand together, let's sing, and let's respond.
Amen. Amen. We have a business meeting following the service now, so you may be seated for our members. The deacons who are at the back, if you would uh, help us out, if you did not receive or if you did not pick up 